you know, they can say it's business as usual, but there was no question. There was cops crawling all over every inch of Toronto's downtown today. And of course, if you are up in the Wonderland area where lots of kids hang out in the summer, they were there as well. And it was not business as usual. And they did come out today uh, and tried to explain what they couldn't explain other than they had a threat, they were being precautious, and carry on. But if you don't tell the public what the threat is, can you just expect people to carry on? And we learned uh, later in the day through leaked emails that uh, apparently U-Haul had directed its staff to watch for suspicious activity in the Toronto area. And then another email that had been leaked Uh, which was said to be an internal police email suggesting that maybe a vehicle would be used in some kind of attack. So what do we have the right to know? Or should we just expect that this is the new norm? Let's ask someone who would have been in the field and known uh, what these kinds of procedures would have been. David Perry, he joins me, former homicide detective, now a CEO, Investigative Solutions Network Incorporated. Hello there, sir. Hi, Alex. Nice to join you again. Glad to have you. Um, what does your um, experience tell you? You know, when when I mean, it, the media will never be happy because you guys never will tell the media, you know, what exactly we want to know. But what should the public expect to know when we get these situations? Well, I think um, anytime that in a, a police action that they're involved in a threat risk assessment like they were today, you know, it's a, it's a very fluid process. There are a lot of moving parts, you know, starting from, you know, the, the formation of the information. Where did it come from? What's the source? Is the, that source reliable? And if that source is reliable, um, what, if anything, do they have to tell the public? And that's, that's always the million-dollar question. It's a fine line to walk between making sure that the public's informed, but also making sure that we don't unnecessarily... Uh, send out, uh, you know, a certain level of fear in the public as well. And I, I think that's what they were faced with today. Right. I mean, there's no question that the police get threats, probably multiple threats, every single day. How do you know every which day. ones are are to be taken seriously? Exactly. And I think, as you said, uh, you know, this is starting to become the new norm, unfortunately. And for many of us, we've sat back for many years wondering when something significant would happen in Toronto in terms of an attack and of course, we saw that recently with the car attack up on Young Street. And I do remember sitting with a colleague, uh, a police officer, and asking how Toronto police could possibly uh, keep up with the volume of work, including the MacArthur investigation and so many other mm-hmm. things. And then I was traveling to the South Pacific on business, and I, I made a stop over in Auckland and read the news about what happened on Young Street. So, you know, our world and the GTA is changing just like it is globally and uh, and now we have a situation today where obviously there was a certain level of information that caused great concern, not just for Toronto police, but regionally yeah. and perhaps federally, and they have to act. So I think what was done today was the most appropriate level that they could do based on what they had and flood the area with police uh, as a deterrent, to flood the area with police in case they had to respond. And, uh, you know, to manage the information going out to the public so that we don't panic and, and uh, have people unnecessarily anxious and fearful about their their safety. So why is there such a difference in the way 
Canadian media, um, you know, are informed versus the American media, because there's no question that if, if if we were in the United States, I mean, they're very, very open. When someone gets arrested, there's not they don't have the privacy laws that we do. But, you know, you'll get the suspect name, you'll get all the information, the who knows, the who, what, when, where kind of right away. But we're not like that. We're not. And I've watched that yin and yang between uh, the police and media. And of course, I was part of it for many years. And you know, you're always trying to weigh your options and do what's what's right, uh, not only as a police service, but uh, what's right for the public. And, you know, I've been on the private side for a number of years. I'm not saying that I've totally changed my views of these things, but uh, like everybody um, in the world that we live in today, I, I, like everybody, get frustrated from time to time with the lack of information that comes out. But I'm not sure. I mean, I heard the same information that you did, Alex, about the leaked information about a possible car attack down in the area of the CN Tower. And... Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that by putting that precise information out that that would have had any value to the public other than to cause people uh, to have, again, unnecessary anxiety. And, and I think the police response was was appropriate. I, I, I was, quite frankly, very impressed with the number of officers that were seen, not just in the downtown core, but places like Wonderland and, and other areas where potentially an attack could have taken place. So what happens now? Do you expect that there'll be a presence there for a couple of days? Or once this concert's out, I mean, do they kind of scale it back? Yeah, they'll scale it back, and that depends on the level of threat. And, uh, you know, even in my private life, I, I'm involved globally with threat risk assessments for major corporations and so on. And some of them involve uh, potential violence. And, you know, again, it's a very fluid process, and you're constantly assessing the information that you first receive and and how that information is progressing along and whether you can, you know, eliminate that potential threat or if you have to escalate, you know, your actions in terms of protection of the public. It's it's a moving it's a moving target and you, you just have to keep your eye on the intelligence information and then uh, add the resources as required and of course take them away as required as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough balancing act because you don't want a police state. You don't want people walking around scared all the time. But again, you know, we've got so many things going on um, that we've never kind of seen. I don't think we've seen this much um, police activity, whether it's an ongoing gun war uh, with gangs that's now kind of been escalated by the chief. We've got, um, you know, this situation unfolding. And then we've got a whole bunch of very big murder cases uh, that are taking a huge amount of resources. Yes, and you mentioned uh, the United States, and the one thing I've always found is that um, when it comes to law enforcement, in terms of what we see and, and the experiences we have with, with crime patterns, we're usually just behind the United States, sometimes as much as 10 years, sometimes just a few years. But, you know, we all saw the formation of the gangs in, in the United States and watched the migration of, of that kind of activity come through Canada and into our major cities, the same as drugs. I can remember when crack cocaine first hit the streets of, of the U.S., and we didn't even know what it was in, in Canada or in Toronto. Yeah. And eventually, seizures were made in Buffalo. We knew it wouldn't be very long compared to doing that in Toronto in the late 1980s and, and so on. And I think that these kinds of car attacks and, and uh, you know other terrorist threats, again, we've seen what's happened in New York City and the, the multiple times they've had similar responses to what we saw Toronto do today. And we're, we're going to probably see that on a more consistent basis here in Toronto as well. Yeah. Well, you know, the one thing I think uh, that we can take away from this is the fact that U-Haul 
Um, and I don't know if this is new, but clearly they've become part of the conversation with law enforcement where they're starting to work together to say, you guys have to be, you know, kind of the eyes for us. Exactly. And, and we predict future behavior from past behavior. So that's obviously something that was learned out of uh, other cities and out of a recent attack on Young Street that, you know, when you have threats like this, that you have to go to the rental agencies, you have to make sure that there's not some suspicious activity and people that, you know, maybe suddenly pick up the vehicle and and it just doesn't fit the entire scenario and, you know, goes back to the attacks in 9-11 with all the things that were learned through that process too. And, and that's, it's, it's an ongoing learning process, uh, I think, for us as communities and obviously for law enforcement. Yeah, interesting times indeed. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. That's Dave Perry joining us, a former homicide detective on the streets of Toronto for a whole long time. So uh, we always get some good intel as to what's going on. But it is. It's a new time. Um, and I, I don't know what the answer is because, you know, you don't want to change the city into a fortress. But at the same time, now we've got people that will jump into a car and ram it into uh, crowds. So do you put barriers up? You have to redesign the streets? Might be an answer, but it's... A matter of do you want to live in that kind of society so maybe we just have to accept that once in a while we're going to see a much bigger police presence and we have to trust that they know what they're doing or not